I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22, first book of the Bible, chapter 22. Uh, the, our passage today is actually one of the, probably one of the most famous uh, stories in all of religion. It's a major story for the Jews. It's a major story. There's a version of it in the Quran, and we're going to look at Genesis chapter 22 today. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham replied, Here I am. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its thorns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, The Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This is the word of the Lord. We need to say something right from the outset, um, because our story today is the kind of story that makes people question the goodness of God. In verse 2, God tells Abraham to take his son, his only son whom he loves, and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. I'm not sure if that was clear the first time I read the story. It is an unprecedented, out of nowhere, impossible, arbitrary and cruel request. 
And yet, without argument, without questioning, Abraham grabs his son, collects some firewood, and heads out the door to do just what God asks. How does a person make sense of a story like this? One common approach is to say that Abraham is a model of unquestioning obedience to God. After all, God asks him to do the unthinkable, and he does it. Abraham has every reason to say no to this request. It comes out of nowhere. It contradicts everything he knows about God. God has spent most of the last ten chapters of Genesis making almost constant promises to Abraham about his family. God promised Abraham first that he would have a family, and that that family would be blessed, and that that family would bless the world. In fact, God promised Abraham that the salvation of the whole world would come through Abraham's family. And Isaac is it. That's Abraham's family. He is the family of promise. He's born to Abraham at 99 years old. In other words, there's no plan B. Okay? But the whole plan for God to save the world rests on Isaac. And God says, sacrifice him. What is God doing? Well, the passage says that he's testing Abraham. We're not told why or what he's testing, just that he is. And we also know from the end of the story that Abraham passed the test. So in verse 16, God says, Because you have done this, because you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will bless you. So most of us preachers look at this passage and we assume that the test was a test of obedience. Will you obey God even if it costs you everything? When you are tested, and we are all tested in our lives, will you follow Abraham's example? Will you obey God even if you don't understand? Will you obey God even if it means losing what you love most in the world? That's kind of how I want to preach this sermon. And, and I don't think it would be a bad sermon. I think it would be a biblical sermon. Uh, what's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods besides me, right? But, but we are constantly taking all kinds of, of things and, and making them more important than God, aren't we? There's this theologian, John Calvin, who says that the, the human heart is a factory for producing idols. We make gods out of everything. We make our work a God. We make our retirement plans a God. We, we make our teams a God. And we can even make our families a God. Even our children. We would do anything. We would change any schedule. We would move any mountain for our family, for our children's success. We will sacrifice for them. We will be inconvenienced for them in a way we rarely would be for our faith. Perhaps God wondered if Abraham was just in this relationship with God to get a blessed family. Maybe Abraham just followed God because God was kind of hooking him up. So long as Abraham's life was going well, Abraham followed God. But would Abraham be faithful 
even if the blessings were taken away? It's a critical question. It's a critical question not just for Abraham, right? Do we follow God because we think He'll make our lives better, more pleasant? What if following God made our lives less pleasant? What if it made our lives worse? It's an important question because the Bible makes clear a bunch of times that the lives of believers, followers of God, are not always lives of financial blessing and material happiness. The Bible understands that following the true God means there will be tension with other priorities in our lives. Jesus himself, in one of the more alarming passages in the Bible, warns that even something as good as family can get in the way of us following God. The Bible is not full of promises of flush bank accounts and nice homes and big, happy families with smart and successful kids. The Bible is clear from start to finish that truly following God is a radical undertaking. It is costly. It is not for the faint of heart. The real God does not fit neatly into your Sunday morning, boost your kids' moral values, and just leave it at that. Sometimes being faithful to God means you and your family suffer. It means taking risks. It means making costly decisions. It means sacrifice. And so maybe God just wanted to know if Abraham would be faithful even if he had to sacrifice. Maybe the lesson of Genesis 22 is even if it hurts, even if it cuts at the things you care most about, be faithful to God anyway. Most preachers look at this text and say Abraham is a model of unquestioning obedience. If God calls, you follow, no matter the cost. And I really don't want to take anything away from that sermon. It's a biblical sermon. But uh, there's a problem, isn't there? There's a problem specifically with using this story to make that argument. We want to make this sermon about obedience. But as one person I read this week put it, obedience is only a virtue if it serves the cause of justice. How many war criminals have stood trial in The Hague or Nuremberg and said, yes, I ran the gas chamber. Yes, I loaded them up in train cars. And yes, I slaughtered everyone in the village. But I was only obeying orders. Obedience is only a virtue if it serves the cause of justice. Can we really praise Abraham for his obedience? In our passage today, obedience is only a virtue if it serves the cause of justice. Which makes me think we need another way of looking at this passage. And I'll be honest, I wrote about 10 different sermons this week. This is not an easy passage, but this is my best guess. 
I wonder if maybe Abraham is not following God's directions out of obedience. I wonder if Abraham is following God's directions out of faith. See, there are these two different visions of God and his character that are kind of intention, not kind of, very much intention in our passage today. The first is the God of promise, right? This is the God of the last ten chapters, the God who takes Abraham out of nowhere and and blesses him and leads him and promises him a future and gives him a child. The first God is this God of promise, but then the second is this God of judgment. This God who demands the life of a firstborn son. This is a God we do not like to talk about. (laughs) And yet, I have to be honest, this outrageous demand does not just show up here in the Bible. So in the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, later in the Bible, God introduces this notion that people should give him, in the form of sacrifices, the firsts of things. Usually we call these the first fruits. Right? So it can be like the first animal from your farm or the, the first harvest from your field. So God is frequently asking his people for, the, for their firsts. And usually those firsts are animals and crops. But he also says this about their sons. So in the book of Numbers, uh, Numbers chapter 3 and chapter 8, God has this really strange expression where he says, every firstborn male in Israel, whether man or animal, is mine. I set them apart for myself. God is using the same language to describe his relationship to those firstborn calves and the firstborn lambs as he is the firstborn sons. He says they belong to him in the same way. And then famously in the book of Exodus, uh, when God's people are about to escape from Egypt, uh, God sends this one last plague, right? It's this form of judgment. God says he's going to claim the life of every firstborn male in Egypt, whether they are an animal or man, whether it's an Egyptian or a Hebrew. See, there's this very difficult theme throughout the Old Testament that humanity is in a kind of debt to God. So the idea is usually that we have sinned, we have rebelled against God in like the deepest places of our hearts. We have spoiled this good creation and a price must be paid. Injustice cannot go unanswered by a just God. And the price that is paid is the life of the firsts. Whether it's a crop or an animal or even your son. But there is something that is hugely important to point out at this moment about this this son debt that we owe to God. God never calls in that debt. In the whole Old Testament, this debt, though it's on the books and and though its severity kind of reminds us how serious our sin is, God never calls in this debt from His people. No firstborn son of his people ever dies for this debt. And the reason is because God always found another way. So in the book of Numbers, instead of taking the firstborn male as he says he could, God says, why don't you just set aside one of the tribes of Israel, the Levites, to serve me in a special way. God provides a way. And then in 
In Exodus, when God promises that judgment with this plague on the firstborn males, He says, instead, why don't you take a lamb, slaughter it, spread the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of your homes, and when I see the blood, I will pass over that home. God provides a way. And this, I think, is the real theme of our passage today. God provides a way. And I think Abraham knew this. So I think this is interesting. So look at verse 3. When God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son, right? Abraham doesn't say a word. He doesn't uh, object. He doesn't question God. And for most of this week as I was studying this, I just found Abraham's silence appalling. Right? Like, so in the chapter just before this, chapter 21, God uh, tells Abraham, so Abraham actually did have another son illicitly with, with his servant. Um, and God basically says that Abraham has to send that son away. And in chapter 21, when God tells Abraham to send his son away, it says um, Abraham was greatly distressed by this. He's greatly distressed that he'd have to send his son away. Now, here in chapter 22, God is asking him to kill his son and not a word. Or a few chapters before this, Genesis chapter 18, God says he's going to destroy the city of Sodom. And what does Abraham do? He pleads for the city. He says, oh, if, if there's just 50 righteous people, will you save it? 45, 40, 30, 10. He pleads with God to find another way. In other words, Abraham knows how to object. He feels comfortable questioning God when he wants to. But in our passage today, when the stakes could not be higher, he doesn't say a word. Okay, so some people will say, well, that's just unquestioning obedience. I think it's something else. I don't think this story is mostly about obedience. I think this story is mostly about faith. I think Abraham has learned to trust in the goodness of God. So look at verse 5. Abraham tells his servants to stay behind. And he says that he and his son, they're going to go up to the mountain. And then he says this. He says, I and the boy will go on ahead, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. We will come back. Except that's not the plan, is it? Or in verse 7, Isaac asks his dad, "Uh, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And what does Abraham say? He says, God himself will provide the lamb. But that's not really the plan either, is it? So are these comments, are they just like wishful thinking? Are they just, I mean, are they just white lies to make this journey like way less awkward? Or are these statements of faith? Has Abraham come to believe that in this apparent conflict between God's justice and God's promise, God will provide a way? When God asks us to do what seems impossible, God provides a way. 
You see, I don't think Abraham went to that mountain out of some kind of blind obedience to this heartless God of justice. I think Abraham went to that mountain out of confident faith that whatever the circumstances of his life, that the God of promise was trustworthy and that the God of promise would provide. That was the test. Would Abraham believe the best about God? Or would he expect the worst? You notice the the action slows way down right before the ram appears. It's excruciating. Abraham builds the altar. He arranges the wood. He binds his son. He lays his son on the altar. He puts him on top of the wood. He reaches out his hand. He takes out his knife. And I wonder if all this action is slowed down because Abraham knows God is about to provide. He slows down in anticipation because he knows that the God of promise always provides a way. And wouldn't you know it, a ram stuck in the thicket. God provides a way. And the most important thing for us to know today is that it wouldn't be the last time God did this. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, this story gives us so many hints of a much greater way that God would provide, not just for Abraham's family, but for all of us. The truth is that God did eventually have to call this debt in. He eventually did have to find a way to reconcile the demands of justice And the grace of his promises. And a son would die. An only son. A beloved son. But this is the trick. The son would be God himself. God comes down in Jesus Christ. He becomes the sacrifice. He becomes the ram stuck in the thicket. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God provided a way, and the way was His own life given for us. And what He asks of us in return is not unquestioning obedience. What He asks is faith. Now, faith is hard. Faith will take us to places we do not want to go. It will expose our idols. It can hurt. But we know so much better than Abraham ever could what our God is like. And we know so much better than Abraham ever could the kinds of things God calls us to do. Because we know God not through some sporadic voices from heaven. We know God through Jesus Christ. God's embodiment of love and self-sacrifice for us. That's how we know God. The cross should clear up any questions we have about the good character of this God. Whatever He's asking you to go through, the God who loves you so much He'd die for you is a God you can trust. He is a God we can believe the best of, not the worst. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that You would provide uh, a a sense of direction as to understanding this difficult passage. Lord, we, we can see in this passage that obedience is important. We can see in this passage that you provide. 
Lord, help us to discern Your ways well. To hear Your voice clearly in this community. To filter all of it through the lens of Your self-sacrificing love in Your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our faithful Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.